0: Well, I've been excited all week uh, and a little bit discombobulated. You know what I mean? Like uh, I feel a little bit troubled in my spirit today, but because I feel so uh excited about this uh this scripture, this passage Um, this event that we have been seeing since volume one, four years ago, is going to happen today. We're going to read about it today. I mean, volume one, volume two, volume three, and now volume four. All of the book of Revelation points to this event. And as the Apostle John has this revelation from Christ Jesus, we've had to peek into heaven through kind of open doors, cracked and windows into heaven as John has said, look, this is what's happening. Just getting this little tiny glimpse. But now, today, you're going to see something. Heaven's doors are going to swing wide open. Not to allow us to see in, but to allow Christ Jesus and His vast armies to return to earth. It's quite exciting. The return of the King, that's what we're studying. The return of Christ Jesus Himself and this is the climactic part of Scripture. It would not be an understatement at all to say that all of Scripture, all of history has been pointing to this event right now as Christ returns to earth. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans eight nineteen. He said that, for the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. Notice, Plural, God's sons. This is the revealing in the plural sons. Many sons and daughters are in that as well, because although God has one son, Jesus Christ, he has many adopted sons and daughters. Amen? Those who have been born again, then skip down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. Ladies, I've been uh, with a few of you. If you've been in labor as you've gotten ready to give birth and you're not quiet. It's not slow, soft moans. Oh, oh. They're loud yells. They hurt my ears as your pastor. And that's what the... The world is saying, creation is saying, since Adam and Eve took a bite of the forbidden fruit and from the tree and when creation fell, Satan and sin have ruled this world. Creation has been groaning as in childbirth because when man fell, all creation fell. The danger for us is not to go too slow or too fast through this. We don't want to skim over this at all because this stuff is rich with the character of God. There's so much to learn. Plus, it's quite frankly, your future. This is your future, not someone else's. This isn't just concept. This is your future. I would, I would um, think you would want to know this stuff. So we don't want to go too fast. On the other hand, we could literally spend an entire week on each verse of this chapter. And we could not finish the entire book, uh, our entire chapter before the end of the year, much less the entire book. So we've got to kind of balance that. Here's what I mean. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about his personal return to the earth over 50 times, 50 times 25 times specifically and 50 times he tells his followers to be ready for it. So together 75 Christ's return is one of the major, major themes of all scripture. Check this out. Except for the theme of faith except for that nothing else is talked about more than this passage. In the New Testament there are 330 30 verses about His second coming. In the Old Testament, 1,527 verses about today's passage. One out of every 25 verses in the New Testament talks about the second coming. You think this is a big deal? I do. Think about it like this. For every time the Scripture talks about the birth of Christ, you know, like Christmas time, it talks eight more times than that. Does that make sense about his second coming? And yet, this passage today, it's rarely studied by most Christians. It's rarely studied. And it's like we ignore it. So today, we're going to backtrack just a little bit. And set the stage, and then we'll see uh, Christ Jesus return to the earth. Um, this is, a, uh, is going to be an exciting time. Lots of notes. We're going to have to move quick, not too quick. Um, and it's going to be a rough, a rough time. There's lots of images in there that are pretty hard to hear. But I think you're going to hear God's character revealed. Let's pray. Would you bow your head with me? God, and... Heaven, our Father, You are great and You are greatly to be praised. Father, we look eagerly to this passage. Revelation 19, God, as we open Your Word, God, help us to not go too fast or too slow. Holy Spirit, open up these verses to us. Teach us what You want to teach us. Reveal the truth of who You are and who we are in You, God. Jesus, we long... For your coming, like all creation, we groan and we say, Come, Lord Jesus. It is in the name of Christ Jesus we all prayed and said, Amen. Amen. All right, we have seen the sudden disappearance of all of God's people from the earth in a blink. The Bible calls it the twinkling of an eye. We've studied how. Fallen angels and Satan's demons and Satan himself have been released to wreak havoc on the earth in a seven-year time frame after this rapture of all of the Christians from the earth. We have seen how God has taken away anything holding back evil, and it has spread. We have studied how God has poured out His wrath on all of the earth from heaven. From heaven it looked like the lamb breaking the seals. And as each seal was read, regional partial destruction poured out on different parts of the earth, different systems of the earth. Then we listened as trumpets were blown and harsher judgments and wrath came across the earth one at a time, just bang, bang, bang. Then finally, the last half of the tribulation starts with the trumpets being blown, seven of them. Where before it was regional and area-wide destruction or certain systems, now the judgment is poured out worldwide. Things like extreme cold, extreme heat, bowls of anger, anger penalty on them. And yet the people have turned their backs on God even more turn their, uh, their attention toward wit- uh, wickedness. They have become even more proud. They will not turn to God. Wars, famine, earthquakes, droughts, like we said, extreme heat, extreme cold at this point, and even darkness. <clears throat> and although there is a spiritual darkness that we're talking about It says that there is a physical darkness that settles in over the earth where the clouds or what we're not sure block the sun, block the stars and the moon. But they do not turn to a leader of God. They turn to a different leader that claims to help them. And for a while he does. He's a charismatic leader, loved. We call this leader for our name, the Antichrist. Or the beast is the picture in scripture for this. He is loved by the people of the earth. He is loved uh, and he is worshipped near the end of the tribulation. You'll have to go back and listen to the story. But he's loved as a God physically here on earth by the end. And he's joined with his partner, the dynamic religious leader, motivational speaker that we call the false prophet. That won't be his real name, but he will be a slick, loved guy that will get people to turn their hearts to worship this guy in religion. All the world's governments, all the world's religion summed up into one. But not all all the people of the earth have turned their backs on God. At the same time as all the wrath is falling to the earth, there are many that turn their hearts to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. This is great news. But these are hunted down and killed by the millions, by the Antichrist, his government and church and the false prophet. And God's ever-increasing judgment is just poured out, poured out. And in these last three and a half years, the cities are destroyed worldwide. They're still there, but they're just in ruins near the end, the Antichrist and the false prophet. They gather all the the armies of the world, the leaders, and they march on Israel to the uh, point into a northern um, vast valley called the Armageddon Battle Area, and it funnels down right to a capital city called Jerusalem their thought is if we can wipe this off the earth then evil will be gone that's how corrupt how backwards they're thinking these two leaders who are loved by the world lead this vast army into northern Israel and the army of millions is ready to make total war they don't want surrender they want the destruction of Israel and Jerusalem specifically with that setting, let's carefully walk our way through verse by verse. Revelation 19, starting with verse 11. You ready? Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war with justice. He's coming. Say amen. Amen. This is huge. Now, remember, we said this last week, there's a ton of imagery that you're going to see in chapter 19, things that are just strange sounding, lots to look at, lots to consider, but this is also explaining a reality. In other words, these are things that you will see. The imagery is there to help us dive deeper, but When we actually get to the event, you and I, it may look a little bit different in how it's presented because the imagery is telling us a story on top of the real story. Let's start with who this is. The rider on the white horse is Christ Jesus. This is good news. Back in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, he is described as being the lamb who was slain. But is worthy to open the scrolls, open the seals. He is seen as this beautiful lamb. But here he is described as a warrior king. Last time Jesus was on the earth, he came as a baby to save the world from their sin. To be a sacrifice for our sin. Meek and mild, the book of Acts, we see the picture of him after His resurrection, ascending back up into heaven, promising that He would return again, kicking off the church age with Pentecost to be a sacrifice, meek and mild. This was a different picture. In Hebrews, it says He took His seat next to the Father to to argue our case in front of Him, to be our mediator. That's where He is now. Now remember near the end of His first coming? Do you remember the week before His crucifixion? He rode a donkey into town, humble. You remember that? They waved palm branches. His first coming was humiliation. He humbled Himself fully God and yet humbled Himself as a zygote and implanted Himself into the womb of a young teenage bride, in the poorest part of one of the poorest countries on earth. He was raised poor. At the end of his life, he was beaten bloody, stripped naked, nailed hand and foot to a cross, killed by humans. Now Jesus returns as a conquering judge. It's not the same. He returns as a conquering judge, ready to carry out sentencing. He is riding this war horse, not a colt now, Make no mistake, he is coming to overthrow the Antichrist and the false prophet. They're followers. They've ruled these, this world for seven years officially, but he's ruled. Satan has ruled for much longer. The earth has been ruled by Satan ever since the fall of mankind in that original sin. Write this down. Jesus is going to take back the earth from Satan. That's big news. That's big news. He's going to take it back. And listen, Satan doesn't want to give it up and it's not going to, uh, he's not going to give it up without a fight. Well, so be it. Here comes the fight. Watch how John describes how he sees Jesus. This is beautiful. His eyes were like a fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. His eyes are bright. They are terribly bright. And remember, to the people of the earth, the sun has not been seen probably in about two and a half years. It's just been that kind of gray, like, uh, well, like in the mornings right now, right? It's been physically darker on the earth since the fifth bowl of judgment was poured out by the angel. The eyes of Jesus must be a terrible sight to his enemies. It must be terrifying to see his eyes. Notice all the crowns on his head. The many crowns represent his title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, it's not, just say, it's not just a saying, it's a title. It literally means he is the highest ruler of the universe. He wears all the crowns because, listen, he has taken all of the crowns off the king's heads. This is big. And don't miss this picture. Back in the old days, when a conquering king, he would come into the palace and they would finally capture the king. His army would hold the defeated king on the ground. They would take his crown off of his head. The, the conquering king would put his foot on the neck and they would roll him onto his back. So he, the conquered king, the defeated king, could see his, uh, the conquering king face to face. He would put his foot on the Adam's apple of the defeated king. And he would put the crown, the defeated king's crown on his head. Man, talk about rubbing it in. Do you see it? I love this picture. Guys, don't you love this? Girls, you may not love this, but guys, you got to love this picture. Right? This conquering king uh, is Jesus here. The ultimate insult to the king of the earth, Satan. Look at that last part of verse 12. His name written, uh, he had a name written that no one knows except himself. You know what that name is? You know what it is? Nope, and neither do I, because no one knows except himself, right? Uh, All right, look at verse 13. Here it is. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Two big clues here to show us that this is Jesus. One is the key, um, one of the key names of Jesus is the Word of God. Uh, John uh, 1, one talks about this, and 1 John does as well. Uh, Jesus has called this, and called the Word of God made flesh. And we're going to see this in just a moment here, but we could go on a long time with this, but here's what you need to see. Jesus is God the Son. And some of you are going, you mean the Son of God? Yes, that too, but I want you to see it in this. He is God the Son. He is fully God. Some of you need to adjust your thinking in this because you have some Mormon background maybe and you kind of picture Jesus as kind of the the weaker uh, part of the Trinity or or you think he was uh, created. He's not created. He is God. So when we say the Trinity, one God, Three persons, right? So we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three God. I know it's crazy if you've never heard that concept. But He is fully God. Now, let's look at Colossians chapter 1. We're going to work our way through this because this is important because this says who Jesus is. He, starting in verse 15, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. The first thing we notice is that there is a God, but He is invisible. There is an invisible part. And Jesus is the image. He is what you see, is what you interact with. The firstborn over all creation. Now, don't read that wrong. Because some of you, even though I just read it right, read it, the firstborn of creation. He's over all creation. Do you see the difference? He is not born like a... He is created. He's always been. But look at this. For everything was created by Him. Stop right there. How many things were created by Jesus? So how about the chair you're on? How about the the clothes you're wearing? Everything. Everything. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Now, this is interesting. Although you haven't seen them because they're invisible, he created visible things, and he also created invisible things. But by the way, you will see them. You will see them. Look at this. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and For Him. He is the executor of the earth. He created it all. So look at this. He is before all things and by Him all things hold together. Take a deep breath just for a moment. Mm. That breath was allowed by Jesus. He is holding all things together. Without Christ Jesus holding all the universe together, it would simply cease to exist. Do you understand? This is the this is the Savior who came to save you. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means what? He was resurrected. He's the first to be resurrected like we will be, so that He might come to have... First place in everything. And baby, He does. Back to Revelation 19. Look at verse 13. This is important. Look at it again. He wore a robe dipped in blood. Now don't get the wrong picture here. You might think, well, His robe is bloody because of His crucifixion. I've heard people say that. That's not it. It's not it. When he is seen after his resurrection, you remember he's, he's dressed in white. Even in the first part, part of the book of Revelation, he's dressed in white. Even in Acts 1, when he goes up into heaven, he's dressed in white. No talk of blood on his clothes. Now, we could go to a few places as we look at why his clothes are blood splattered here. But let's go way back to the prophet Isaiah in his prophecy about this day. Now remember, Isaiah... This prophet lived 750 years before Christ is born in Bethlehem. That should blow your mind. Jesus, it is talking about, uh, as it goes through this, there is a uh, one side that is saying, who is this? And then the other side, who it is. So one side is, who is this coming? The other side is the warrior that it's asking. So I want you to see it. Uh, in this, so who is it's verse one, 63 verse one. Who is this coming from Edom in crimson stained garments? What's crimson stained, by the way? That's, that's this color. I wore it for you. This color. Crimson stained garments from Basra, the one who is splendid in his apparel, striding in his formidable might. So you've just asked the question who is this? It is I. Proclaiming vindication, powerful to save. Your version may say mighty to save. I like that version, mighty to save. Why are your clothes red and your garments like one who treads the winepress? You got to understand when you make wine, you dump all the grapes raw into this, this stone hole in the ground and then the people mash on the grapes. Now this is gross, but you need to get the picture here. Is they mash on the grapes, the weight of the person pops the grape, pops the the blood of the grape that comes out. They're saying, why are you, you know, stained like you've been in this? Now, I, I want you to see something. He says, I trample them in my anger. You don't trample grapes in anger. That's a joyous thing. So what's he talking about? I ground them underfoot in my fury their blood splattered on my garments and my clothes were stained. He's not talking about grapes, folks. For I planned the day of of vengeance and the year of my redemption came. Now this might mess some of you up. It might mess up your tidy, little, nice picture of Jesus But you need to understand who Jesus really is. Because some of you have bought this picture sold to you by fake liberal Christians that that these fake teachers, they say, oh, Jesus didn't die for an atonement. He he died as an example. It was an accident. He was just trying to, to do good things and he was misunderstood. And they would say, his death is not to pay for sin, but just to point out kind of how bad the world can be. Baloney baloney. They, I, they say awful things like, Jesus doesn't really care what you believe, only that you're sincere in your belief or your unbelief. The picture that the world gives Jesus is some willowy young fellow that looks like a 13, 14-year-old girl with kind of, just kind of willowy, oh, I just want to, and that's not the picture of Jesus. Because the enemy can, if the enemy, can convince you of the wrong Jesus and you believe in him, listen to me, you have not believed and put your faith in the right Jesus. This is important. It's why we study doctrine. It's why we teach the Bible verse by verse like we do. We want you to understand the real Jesus because, listen, the enemy is trying to fool you. And if the enemy can do that, they win. We study all of Scripture to see His character. And yes, Jesus was meek and mild. He came to the earth to die in our place. And yes, Jesus is loving, full of mercy and grace and peace. And yet, He is a man of justice too. And God, who has been so very slow to anger, slow to anger, but now, after He has offered His life and people have rejected Him, He says, enough. Justice is coming. Write this down. Jesus' robes are blood splattered because of his wrath against his enemies, because he kills his enemies. Baby, it is payback time. The beast and the false prophet and their followers have slaughtered the men and the women of Christ Jesus now for seven years. They've hunted them down like dogs. They have now, they have not repented, and now blood is going to flow. Back to Revelation, verse 19 or verse 14 in chapter 19. The armies that were in, the, were in heaven followed him on white horses, wearing pure white linen. Notice that it's armies, plural, with an S. We don't know how many armies, we don't know how many beings are coming. We know that we will be there, the church. Those that have been redeemed during this church age before the rapture. You will be there. You will be one of the armies. But I assume there will be Old Testament armies as well. Guys like Elijah. Women like Deborah. Women like Sarah. uh, Guys like Jeremiah will be there. That will be another army. There will be angel armies. And quite frankly, we just don't know what that means. But we know that it's many. And just simply do the percentages is if 33 and a third percent of the angels fell uh, in their rebellion against god that means there's a lot of angels left that are good and they're coming and they want payback we simply don't know what that means but i'm assuming it's going to be big Notice what they are wearing, pure white linen. Pure white linen symbolizes being made complete and sinless in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, oh, if I could just stop and preach here for about two or three months. Um, We have been made, we have been made complete, pure and clean. We are in our resurrected bodies here. We are finally the person God designed us to be. Jesus is leading the armies and they are on white horses, but it is that picture of white. It is that sanctification you live in day in and day out where the grace of God is making you, giving you a new heart and a new mind. You are finally made complete. And listen to me, we don't have to wait until we are in heaven. We are being made complete now by the word of God. Do you understand? This is why we study God's Word. This is why we are part of the church. Notice something. The army is described as not having any weapons except one. The armies don't have any weapons described at least. Only Jesus will fight. Only Jesus will kill and deliver justice, not us. You will not swing a sword. Let me give you a little hint. This is not going to be a difficult battle for Jesus. It's just not. It's not going to be um, slow battle. It's going to be quick, but it's going to be very, very bloody. Watch now as verse 15 switches back to now to describing Jesus from his armies. Here it says, a sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. Is your picture of Jesus changing here? Yes, He is the baby in a manger. Yes, He is the loving man that sits in the Last Supper and washes the feet of His disciples. Yes, He is all of that. Yes, He loves you. Yes, He is full of peace and grace, but He will judge His enemies. He will bring justice. This is not someone you want to be against. The sharp sword symbolizes Christ Jesus' power to kill with his word. Think about this. To simply wage war with your breath. Well, some of you have that kind of breath. (laughs) You could wage war. But check out that picture. This is a picture that as he speaks, it could bring life and it can bring death. It is the ultimate judge. Check out the picture of that. He will rule with an iron rod. That doesn't mean that he will be a mean or harsh ruler. It means that he will rule perfectly perfectly with perfect righteous judgment. And think about this. This is the role of all people of God coming to him to rule with Jesus. All those coming with him, write this down. The role of God's people returning with Jesus is to rule the earth under the direction of Jesus. Some of you are so confused right now. You go, I thought we were going to heaven. We are, we are, but there's some stuff we gotta do. The role of God's people returning with Jesus is to rule the earth under the direction of Jesus. Now, I want you to see, there are still Christians on the earth right now that have come to salvation during the seven years. They're physical people just like you and I. Then the church has come back, all the saints from Adam all the way back to the, uh, the, the rapture. They are there, but with the resurrected bodies. It's those who have been resurrected that will rule with jesus we will share with uh, we will share with jesus the authority over the earth by the way we don't have time to go there but do you see that puts us back in the place of the garden before the fall this is powerful to think of in resurrected bodies sinless back on earth and no sin this is powerful before sin in the fall, we were designed to rule creation from the garden. We will be back there. The earth is being restored. The king is returning, but don't miss this. You are being restored to a purpose. Christians are being restored to their purpose and role. And you go, I can't wait for the day. Amen. What I'm telling you is if you're just waiting for that day and not growing now, you're missing the point. You are being ready for that day now. That's why I beg you to be in God's Word. That's why I beg you to not treat church like, oh, I think I'll go this weekend uh, if, if I can fit it in. Now, make this the top priority, being in God's Word. And, and through you, God will rule His creation once again. Not Satan, not his demons, you under Jesus. Look at verse 16. And he has a name written on his robe and his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a banner that is draped from this shoulder going all the way down and then attached somehow to his leg. And written across the banner is saying, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is his title that declares his absolute sovereignty over every human heart. Every human heart. It says there is none higher than Christ Jesus. His sash with his name, his title, his many crowns on his head, his white horse, his position leading the vast armies of God, all point to him being the long promise way back in Genesis 3, the promised Christ, the rescue mission. This is him, and he's back. And as we stand here, two armies ready to clash. One on one side of the earth is the greatest military force mankind has ever fielded. Every conceivable weapon is there. And on the other side, a heavenly army, but with only one sword. And and the the leader of that army is carrying it. Jesus is wielding it. Now let me warn you, this next part is about to get really gross uh, and and awesome at the same time. Amen? Uh, uh, To set this up, last week we talked about the wedding feast. You remember that? The wedding feast, this beautiful picture with Jesus and his bride, the church, this next feast that it's talking about is not that feast. But sometimes people read chapter 19 and they go, well, it's a feast and a feast. and must be the same feast. But this one is really horrible. No, this is a different feast. That's the wedding feast. This is different. You're going to see this. They're only related that they're in through Jesus. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Hang on right quick. The sun has been missing for about two and a half, three years. The sun, the clouds part and it is bright, shiny. This battle's going to happen in the broad daylight. They're like, man, they haven't seen the sun and the angel, this vast angel stands up. You go, I thought Jesus was going to fight. He is, hang on they got to do some housekeeping first, and it's gross. Here it is. And he called out in a loud voice, saying to all the birds flying high overhead, come, gather together for the great supper of God. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? So that you may eat the flesh of kings. The flesh of military commanders, the flesh of the mighty, the flesh of, the, of horses and of their riders, and the flesh of, listen, everyone, both free and slave, great, small and great. Everybody say gross and say awesome. This is big. It's gross and awesome. This is called the great supper of God. Uh, also called the war uh, of the great day of God, the Almighty. This is the bold. This is so bold. The angel is calling scavenger birds. He's just going, hey, look, we got a big battle coming. We're going to need to clean up the battlefield. This is before anybody's dead, right? Right? You can imagine these guys are in the field like this, you know, like, he's calling the birds to eat us, right? And they're not even dead yet. You know how the old Dirty Harry movies, anybody fans of the old Dirty Harry movies? Yeah, yeah, we'll forgive you. And I, I am too. You know, there's that, always that part in the Dirty Harry movie where he's holding the gun on the bad guy that you've, you just, you know, this guy's guilty. He's about to shoot the guy and he goes, you feeling lucky guy? You know, and you're like going, shoot him, shoot him, right? And do you know why you want him to shoot him? Because you want justice. It is in the core of your DNA. This is huge. In fact, do you remember this verse from the Apostle Paul Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. I always wanted vengeance on my enemies. And, and I would complain, God, they're getting away with it, they're getting away. Or you read about something that's so evil in the paper, and you go, God, they're just getting away with this. And God goes, no, no. I'll pay for it one day. This is the day. This is the day. That day you have longed for justice to be paid back. Are you with me? And when it says, vengeance is mine, it's not a suggestion. It's saying, look, if you take vengeance, you are stealing from me. You are stealing. That is my vengeance, and I will pay it back. Ain't nobody getting away with nothing. Listen close. Either your sins will have been forgiven by the blood of Christ Jesus, sacrificed on a Roman cross, or you will pay with your blood in this and for all eternity. Nobody gets away with nothing. Verse 19, Revelation 19. Then I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and the armies gathered together to to wage war. Here it is. Against the rider on the horse and against his army. Right? It's like... But watch what happens. It is so not fair to fight. Here it is. But the beast was taken prisoner, and along with it, the false prophet. The the two leaders of the earthly army are, boom, they're taken prisoner. They're not killed. Who had performed the signs signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast. That's the 666. And those who had worshipped its image. With these signs, both of them were thrown alive into the lake that burns with sulfur. This is important to understand. Both of them are thrown alive. They are not killed into hell. Look what happens. First, the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet are taken prisoner. They are not killed. This is important to see. The Antichrist, the beast, and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire. That is hell. Now, some of you need to have your doctrine checked. We'll talk about hell and heaven more soon. But what you need to know are two things. First, there are, uh, these two are the only ones that will be in hell for a thousand years. No one is in hell currently. And you go, wait, I thought people were in hell. No, that... This may mess up your view of hell, and that's okay, because we follow the Bible, not what pop culture movies say. We go by what's written. This is the place of the dead called Hades in the Greek. It is hell-like, and it is horrible. The rich man, you remember the rich man and Lazarus, and he is in the place of the dead. He looks over at Lazarus and and says, Hey, Father Abraham, just have him dip his finger in, in water just for me, right? It's so terrible, but baby, it ain't hell yet. It's not there. These two are in hell now for a thousand years. The second thing you need to see here is that hell is not equal. You've heard the term, there's a special place in hell for a guy like that. When you talk about a guy like Hitler or Mao, this is scriptural. The levels of punishment these guys will face will be the worst, I'm sure. The verse from Revelation 19 is telling. It shows what happens to the rest of the evil army that is defeated by Jesus. Verse 21, the rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider. How many people are killed? Everyone that is not a believer, is killed. Everyone on the face of the earth, they're killed. The rest were killed with the sword that came from the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds ate their fill of their flesh. They're like, no, no more. I can't eat And there's another bird going, look, there's a king over here. This is great stuff. And the guy's going, no, I've had enough. Jesus himself kills all those who are against them. It's not a battle that we think of as a battle. No, it's short. Jesus kills them with the word of his mouth. He simply speaks it. For the first time since Genesis 3, there will be no people alive on the earth that are sinful. Do you understand? Since the apple Everyone had turned their backs on God will be killed right there. They will go to the place of the dead, Hades. They will live there until the great white throne judgment. And they take their eternal judgment and punishment from them. We'll study that. That's a thousand years away. They will be in Hades for a thousand years. But it will be at that point At the dead will face judgment. The dead who are not in Christ will be cast into the lake of fire, hell, eternal punishment, conscious punishment. They will join the antichrist and the false prophet um, who have been there for a thousand years at that point. But what about Satan? What happens to Satan? Well, that's next week. We'll get to it. No, I'm just kidding. I couldn't do that to you. Verse one of chapter 20. Let's look at it just as a little preview. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding his hand in his hand, the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent says that because he appeared as a serpent to Eve and Adam, who is the devil and Satan. And he bound him for a thousand years and he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nation. You realize Satan is not cast into hell yet. He's cast into a place called the abyss, kind of like a holding cell, a bottomless pit. But look, he will not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. What's with that? Oh man, you do not want to miss coming weeks. It's going to be good. Satan is not cast into hell and it gives you a little picture of the evil to come. We'll hit that soon. But look, look at his place is not in hell. It is in the bottomless pit. Like there's no rest, nothing to rest on. It's bottomless. It's like torture. It's like you're not able to sit down. But you see what I mean? There's nothing to rest on. It's conscious torment. Let me close with these few thoughts. Do you remember the story where Jesus and his disciples they're on the the boat and the waves come in and they're they're worried they're gonna sink. It's wind and waves, and they freak out, and they look Jesus is asleep, and they go, Jesus, what you we're gonna die, and Jesus calms the waves. Instantly goes from waves, wind, soft. Now they're really freaked you know they're like this guy commands the waves who is this guy well they row across and it's in the early morning hours and they land the boat and if you've ever been in a wooden rowboat or you hear it when it hits the stony coast there and it's all kind of misty and as you hear them getting out of the water they're all exhausted they splash into the water, pull it up, no one says anything. But then out of, the, out of the smoke, you hear blood-curdling screams. Ah! Just screaming. I mean, their blood runs cold. They don't know what it is, but then it happens again. And so they walk up and there's tombs that are around. They're walking through these above-ground tombs. And then all of a sudden, these, these guys, two of them, step out, and they are horrible looking, something wrong with them. And they scream. They scream, and they're cut all over them. They're bleeding. They've got cuts and deep scars. They're dirty, and they are buck naked, not a strip of clothing on them. They say, what have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torture me and send me into the abyss, the bottomless pit before it's time. You connecting those two together? Jesus said, who are you? What is your name, demon? And he says, we are legion because we are many. Jesus cast them out because he is the son of God. He casts them out. They go out of him and into a herd of pigs that rush headlong down and over a cliff and are drowned into the sea that they just rode out of. Oh, Satan and his demons know who Jesus is and where they are going. They beg not to be sent to the bottomless pit. They're not even worried about hell yet. They don't want to go to the bottomless pit, much less hell. Here's what you've got to understand. The demons knew there is a divinely appointed time for their judgment. They knew their time was coming and they recognized Jesus as the Son of God right away. Their ultimate judge, their eschatology, in other words, their view of the end times was factually correct. But it is one thing to know the truth. And it is another thing to love the truth. Friends, I love you. I do. And and I could give you a nice talk about how to worry less. I I could give you a nice talk to how to be a a better you, like get a raise or something. But I've got to tell you, this is life-changing stuff. This is the gospel right here. The life-giving message of Jesus coming to die in your place. This is the only message that has the power to save you. Not some feel-good butt pat, right? This is the power to save you. And listen, not only to save you, but to change who you are, to give you a new mind, a new heart, to make you the real person that sin stole away from you. Many of you know the truth just like these demons. But the difference is, you have got to get the truth in you and to let it change you. You cannot avoid hell and eternal punishment. And to have life with Jesus eternal in His righteousness. But you have got, you got to put your faith in Jesus every day. Not just once, but every day of your life as a follower of Christ. And and I'm not saying that He saves you over and over. I'm not saying that. My point is that if you are saved, you will live for Him. Let the truth change you. Live for him. Quit playing like you go, well, yeah, sometime off in the future. What I'm telling you is this is a real event. And God wants to change you now to prepare you for that day. Oh, brothers and sisters, I love you. But you have got to start living for Jesus. Quit playing like this is some plastic Jesus game. You go, I'm an American, so I guess I'm not going to hell. I guess I'm a Christian. Only Jesus saves you. Only Jesus saves you. Do you understand what I'm telling you? This stuff is real. Then, if it is, why not live for Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled to be in your presence, to seem to hear of Your return, Jesus. But God, my heart is heavy for so many here that have treated this like just some great story out there. Holy Spirit, would You come into this place right now and would You speak to the hearts of those who believe with their mind but have not made that with their heart? as you continue to pray with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you call yourself a Christian, listen to me, and you are not living as a Christian, you're not following the commands of God to love your neighbor, to to follow the commands of Jesus, to live life like Jesus instructed, I would question publicly your salvation. I don't know the condition of your heart, but listen, Jesus does. So during these next two songs, you have a chance to repent in your heart. And listen, I know many of you in this room love Jesus and you're serving. But you have let your life just kind of get a little cold in your relationship with Jesus. Use this time to just reinvigorate that. Invite the Holy Spirit in during this time. We're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices We're going to lift our hands. We're going to worship. But what we are doing together is as a church, we want to repent and say, God, I want to follow you. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for our church that you would help us to follow you, to repent, to follow your teaching. God, I would pray for those people who are not saved right now, that are far from you, that are on their way to hell. God, would you save them? Help them to repent. Help them to to call out to you, Jesus, that you are the Savior. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. to repent in your heart. And listen, I know many of you in this room love Jesus and you're serving. But you have let your life just kind of get a little cold in your relationship with Jesus. Use this time to just reinvigorate that. Invite the Holy Spirit in during this time. We're going to sing. We're going to lift our voices We're going to lift our hands. We're going to worship. But what we are doing together is as a church, we want to repent and say, God, I want to follow you. Let me pray for you. God, I pray for our church that you would help us to follow you, to repent, to follow your teaching. God, I would pray for those people who are not saved right now, that are far from you, that are on their way to hell. God, would you save them? Help them to repent. Help them to to call out to you, Jesus, that you are the Savior. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray.